Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 4 as we are concluding our study in this short book, Ruth chapter 4. We'll be looking at the last section, I think a very practical section for Mother's Day. It's on page 187 in the Bibles that are there in the chairs in front of you, and so if you need a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. Trust that you have a Bible open so that you can follow along. We will put the verses on screen in a few moments as we read them, but to have it in front of you, you can see where we are in the text. I've shared with you before that when I was in high school and then for part of my time even in college, I worked in an apple orchard, and during the summers, I would actually time my lunch breaks in a certain way so that I could listen to a a program on the radio called The Rest of the Story by Paul Harvey. Many of you are familiar with that. He was a master storyteller. He would share interesting facts and or connections about a person or an event and and keep back the key element until the very end. And as he would share it, then it would come to the end and he would drop this piece that may be somebody very familiar that we would know about or, or another take on a familiar story that we didn't know about. And, and he would put that out and then he would conclude with, and now you know the rest of the story. And while Harvey's approach held attention it, it all, and made for great storytelling, it is also an illustration of how we rarely see the whole picture. He would give more information than we normally would have. And, and often you would find that a seemingly insignificant or minor decision or detail would have major consequences. For instance, many, many years ago, a baby was born to an unlikely couple in the little town of Bethlehem. There was great rejoicing and praising of the Lord at the birth of this son, Someone other than the parents named the child, and the ramifications of this birth would impact the entire course of history. That baby's name was Obed. We find this birth in Ruth at the end of this passage. We're concluding this consideration this morning, and we'll read of his birth in in these final verses. Let me just give you the summary. If you've been with us, you know what's going on. And so, well, you can read this book in less than 15 minutes. We've taken a number of weeks to consider it and make practical applications. Chapter 1 talks about a pragmatic decision that was made due to a famine in the land. Elimelech takes his wife and two sons, his wife Naomi, his two sons, and they leave the promised land for a pagan land, the pagan land of Moab. Moab was a nation that was birthed out of a perverse situation. Drunk Lot had an incestuous relationship with his daughter, and the child that was born was named Moab. This was a nation that opposed Israel. They opposed Israel during the wilderness wanderings. They seduced Israel into idolatry and brought God's judgment upon them. 
Their king, Eglon, oppressed Israel during the time of the judges until Ehud killed him in a very gory description that's in Judges chapter 3. Things did not go as planned for Elimelech there in the land of Moab. There he dies. After he dies, his sons marry women of Moab. This was a violation of the law of Moses. They were not to do that. And after 10 years, then the sons die. So here is Naomi, a widow who's lost her sons with two daughter-in-laws, no children, no grandchildren in a foreign country. The famine ends, so she decides to go back to Bethlehem. Her daughters-in-law agree to accompany her. They want to go with her, and, and she encourages them not to. She says, go back to your home. One of them does, but Ruth refuses to leave, instead commits to accompany Naomi and to be faithful not only to Naomi, but to Naomi's God. So Naomi returns to Bethlehem, disheartened, disappointed, discouraged with all of what's going on in her life. She's disappointed with God. Chapter 2 opens with the famine having ended and Ruth offering to go into the harvest fields. She offers to go out and pick up grain that's left, that, that the law of Moses said you couldn't glean the entire field, you couldn't get the edges, and if you dropped anything, leave it. It was really an assistance program for the poor, for those in need, that they could go out and work. And Ruth happens to go to the field of Boaz, who just happens to be a relative of Elimelech. And he happens to notice her and goes beyond the letter of the law and encourages the workers to leave extra grain for her to pick up. He then tells her to remain in, her, in his fields through the harvest time. And not just the barley harvest, but the wheat harvest, so about two months period. Well, in this summer, in these two months, there's kind of a summer romance of sorts between these two people. We've seen their character, their integrity. In chapter 3, Naomi decides that Ruth needs a husband and Boaz would be a good candidate. And so in chapter 3, the passage describes some interesting customs of that time. Nothing inappropriate took place. We've talked about that. But these are traditions and dating policies that are not appropriate for our academy or our, our college. So when you read that, we're not doing that. But Ruth lets Boaz know that she would be available for marriage if he was interested, and he is. But he's a man of integrity. He says there's actually a nearer relative. That in the, the, under the law, the Laverite marriage that would continue the line of that dead individual, there was a closer relative, and that if he would be interested, then he had first dibs. But he agrees to resolve the situation quickly. And that's what we find in chapter 4. Boaz deals with the situation the very next morning. He handles it legally. He gives the other relative the, his right of first refusal. He wants the land, but he, when he realizes it includes marrying Ruth to continue the line of Elimelech, he says, yeah, not, that's not for me. And he's, inter he's not interested in perpetuating the line of Elimelech by marrying Ruth. So he turns down the deal. In verses 9 through 12, the specifics of the legal agreement are finally mentioned. They're, they're finalized before the city leaders, and it's, it's a legal document that's concluded. So the question then is, is the issue of the continuation of the line of Elimelech settled? And the answer is no. Well, uh, well, Boaz is willing to marry Ruth... And there's security for Ruth and Naomi now in this redemption process. Naomi will be taken care of. There is no heir to redeem the line of Elimelech. 
And while there may be that monetary relief and, and the moment that, that Naomi does no longer have to worry, ultimate rest is in the process of redemption. And that brings us to our text this morning and the rest of the story. And what I want us to see from this passage is that God's loving kindness and redemptive work is displayed to frail individuals who trust him. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I begin reading in verse 13 of Ruth chapter 4. We'll read through the end of the passage. Ruth, Ruth 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old, old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Adinadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David. In these verses, we see how the Lord brings this together. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look into this passage this morning, we pray that you would give our hearts an anticipation for your word and that we would see practical application for our lives of your loving kindness and redemptive work that we would live for your glory. For it is in Christ's name we pray, amen. In these concluding verses, we see the rest of the story, that God is working in the lives of these frail individuals but to show his grace. The first thing I want to see is that God provides security to those who trust in him. In verse 14, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and God gave them conception, and she bore a son. What I want us to see first of all in this is that biblical marriage provides a solid foundation for the difficulties of life. We've, we talked about this some last week. That we live in a nation that likes to focus on the wedding, but Scripture focuses on marriage. Marriage is more than just private love. It's a promise of commitment to love, Boaz to Ruth here. And, and we see that in this. And if, if there was a wedding, this, this is really where it took place. Boaz took Ruth. And that's all that is said. The legal agreement was taken care of. The wedding was not the priority, but the marriage was. The wedding is the vehicle to the destination. And that's why it's so important that we focus on our marriages. But we see it's a public covenant of companionship, informing a new family. When a, when a husband and wife say, I do, that is a new family. Sometimes people say, well, when are you going to start a family? They already did. When they said, I do. Children expand a family, they don't establish the family. And we need to be careful that we're, we're not putting an undue pressure on people. And then we see that, that private consummation of the marriage and the intimacy. He went in unto her. 
There, there's a bond in marriage and the deepening relationship of physical intimacy. And, and, I, and I, I, I mention this because it's spoken of with a propriety in Scripture. And we see that in this passage. He went into her. There's, a, there's an appropriateness that frankly and sadly is missing in our culture today. We speak of things, and sadly, even Christians speak of things without a dignity and propriety. Propriety provides honor to marital intimacy. It's something that God has created as holy and good and enjoyable in His bounds. Our culture has lost all sense of propriety and decorum. People don't have a clue what that means. And yet Ephesians 5.12 says it is a shame, it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Philippians 3.19 says that people are enemies of the cross who glory in their shame. They set their mind on earthly things. That's our culture. They glory in their shame. They have parades of their perversity. And yet that's not God's plan. Physical intimacy is not isolated from the emotional, the intellectual, and spiritual union within the bounds of marriage. So marriage provides that sure foundation. Secondly, children are a blessing from the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 13. The Lord gave her conception. Every conception is a gift from God. And life begins at conception. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Folks, this is a worldview issue. If you believe that humans are the result of time plus matter plus chance, then you're going to view conception much differently than those of us that view that we were formed by God in our mother's wombs, beginning at conception. Children are not simply the result of a biological function. They are the heritage of the Lord. And understand, Ruth had been married for probably 10 years to Malon in Moab and had no children. And now, apparently, in a very short time, the Lord gives Ruth conception. The birth of an heir was not the, in the control of Boaz or Ruth. And the text makes that clear, that pregnancy is given as an evidence of God's providential care and control. And, and I say this, and I, I stress this, because on a day like this, on Mother's Day, this is a difficult day for some ladies. There is much sorrow at the inability to have children or, or maybe the loss of children. I wonder how many tears Ruth shed in those 10 years, wanting a child with her husband Malon and the Lord never giving conception. Were there moments of hope and longing and maybe this is it and then, then followed by a time of despair? I wonder if Naomi had doubts. Why don't I have any grandchildren? Maybe it's because my boys married pagan girls. What is God judging me? We don't understand why God allows some to conceive with apparent ease and others struggle with unfulfilled longings. Others experience the excitement and then, then the loss. Miscarriages are more common than many realize, and some share their loss, and we, we, we weep with those who reap, weep, we pray together. Others sorrow alone. And I say this because we need to be careful about our questions and comments. That sometimes to couples, well, what, you know, when are you going to start your family? They've started it. But you don't know what's going on. And we need to be careful that idle words are not piercing daggers. 
This passage moves our focus to, to the fact that th children are a gift from God. We are entrusted by God to raise our children for His glory. And what we really see is the focus moves from Ruth now to the redemption of an heir. This heir is a gift from God. Children are an heritage from the Lord. We have read these verses earlier from Psalm 127. The third thing I want us to see, though, is that, that God is the author, that children are His gift. And we see His provision in this. You know, I, I think we, we need to be careful because when we, when we lose sight of the fact that children are a gift from God, we, we, sometimes we don't think they're a gift. It's like, you know, well, it doesn't seem like a gift. You know, it's like the woman who was asked if she, would, if she could do it over again, would she? in having children and she hesitated and then she she said yes I'd have children again but not these children <laughs> you know there are those moments but you know children are eternal souls and they're created for the glory of God they're going to live somewhere forever came across an interesting article this past week it was titled pet owners are not parents it, it was not a Christian publication but the article talked about pregnancy, birth, the parental responsibilities, the consequences. It noted the concerns parents have for education and that children have a purpose and are to become productive members of society. And as I'm reading the article, I'm thinking, well, this really is coming from a biblical foundation, a biblical worldview. And I'm thinking, and I can't wait to get to the comment section. <laughs> and boy, did it explode with people taking exception to what this person, I mean, the hostility in the comments. And yet none of those could talk about the societal influence of a pet. Because people are made in the image of God. Animals are not. It goes back to worldview. It goes back to Genesis 1. And understanding that, that we're to raise our children for the glory of God. Well, Naomi and Ruth are, are realizing the reality of that. And this conception is striking. The birth of an heir. Naomi's redemption is now complete. God has rewarded faithfulness. It's, it's realized the faithfulness of Naomi and a Moabitess woman who blesses Naomi with a grandson. This woman who was from a pagan nation is now brought in to the lineage of King David. And so what we see thirdly is godly homes must display faith in God rather than fear of circumstances. We need to live by faith. Recognize the events of our life. Every event is under the sovereign control of God Almighty. And so even the sorrows, the disappointments, the struggles, God is working all things together for His good, for, for His glory and for our good when we love Him. Ruth's faith is seen when she left her home in Moab. She left her own mother and father. In fact, that's, we saw that back in chapter 2, verse 11. Boaz comments on, on Ruth's care for her mother-in-law and says, and it's told how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. That is a testimony of her trust in God. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Was Ruth rewarded for her sacrifice? Absolutely. Was it a sacrifice? Definitely. Are we willing to make such sacrifices in serving the Lord? Or do we only serve the Lord if it's convenient? Ministry demands sacrifice. That's the pattern we see in Christ. 
Now, sometimes the question is, but is it wise to bring children into this world? It, it's so evil, it's so wicked. Our culture flaunts its folly. It perva- per- parades its perversity. It exalts unrighteousness and it revels in reprobation. Do we really want to bring children into this world? You know, what about all the other problems, finances and everything else? Well, let me ask you, what was the world like when Boaz and Ruth were married? It was the day of the judges when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. If you read the book of Judges, there is a lot of corruption and perversity. And even the judges that that do good things have feet of clay and some major failures. Folks, understand there will always be hard times in a fallen world. Every child born into this world needs a savior. And yes, we need to be wise in our decisions and considering the the health of the mother and spiritual training, economic circumstances, but we need to walk by faith. And and, and understanding, and I, I believe the statement, be fruitful and multiply, is a blessing, not a command. Say, well, why would you say that? Well, because that's what the Bible says. God blessed them, saying... And you find that over and over in in Genesis 1, verses 22 and 28, chapter 9, verse 1, 17, verse 20, 28, verse 3, 48, verse 4, and Leviticus 26, verse 9. It's a statement of blessing. God blessed them. and said, be fruitful, multiply. You know, if I I tell one of my kids, hey, have a good day, do they walk away and say, dad just commanded me I have to have a good day. If I don't have a good day, I'm, I'm disobedient. No, it's a blessing. I want you to have a good day. It's God's blessing. But understand, it's God who gives conception. We need to make sure that we're committed to Scripture, that we're Scripture-centered, not suffering-centered. Because there will be problems in this world. But we need to live by faith, not by fear, and, and develop in our children a positive faith attitude rather than get into this mental loop of fear. Well, how do I get that attitude? By being in the Word of God. We have to know what God's Word says. He's given us all that we need for spiritual life and godliness, but it comes through the knowledge of Him. So maybe we have to ask, are we self-reliant or God-reliant? Do we trust God or trust ourselves? Because if I trust myself, I've got a lot to worry about. Or do we live by faith rather than fear? We need to understand that's what we have to develop. Secondly, God provides comfort to those who are experiencing life's bitterness. We looked at this, but in conclusion, I want to bring us back into that from from chapter 2 and understanding Naomi's struggle. Bitterness causes one to doubt God's goodness. That's what happens with bitterness. Bitterness brings doubt of God's goodness. When Naomi comes back and they're saying, is this Naomi? Her name means pleasant. She said, don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. She doubted God's goodness. Bitterness is harbored hurts. Naomi came home frustrated with God. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. God brought Naomi home to bless her in an amazing way. But she couldn't see it. She focused on the problems rather th- and the difficulties rather than seeing God's working. Here she's got a daughter-in-law who's left her own home to be with Naomi. Bitterness sees what was lost, not what God is doing. Bitterness believes God got it wrong, that it doubts the goodness of God. That's what bitterness does. The second thing I want us to see under this point is bitterness can result in giving bad advice. 
And we see that in Naomi as well. That Elimelech leaves the land of promise. He goes to a pagan land. He's concerned for his family. It's really a lack of faith because God's told them not to do that. No, Moab was not a good place, but it made practical advice. Hey, I've got to look out for my family. I have to do this. But it didn't work out like he planned. It was not a move that demonstrated faith in God. In fact, the Moabites were referred to as the enemies of Israel in Judges 3.28. Both his boys married women of Moab, and, and, and that was a violation of the law. Their God was Chemos or Chemosh, not a good God. That is not the God you want to worship. And we see in various places in the Old Testament how that God turned hearts away, including the heart of Solomon as one of those. But part of the worship of Chemosh was human sacrifice. That was the God of Moab. And here is Naomi telling her daughters-in-law, go back to your gods. That was bad advice from somebody who was embittered by life. And we, we saw the struggle there. And, and, but somehow Ruth had seen the God of Israel and said, no, I don't want that God. I want your God. And she would not be dissuaded. The third thing we see, though, is bitterness is cured by recognizing God's providential control. Naomi begins to see God's hand as she comes back. In chapter 2, verse 20, blessed is he of the Lord. She sees, wow, Boaz is helping out. God's working here. This man is a relative of ours. That just, you just happened in his field. And then in verse 14 of chapter 4, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. God's control is what helps us. Okay, we, yes, there are losses, but God is working. God is bringing Naomi home. The fourth thing that I want us to see is bitterness is conquered. It should result in praising God and investing in others. Praising the Lord. Who do these women in Bethlehem credit with the birth of this baby? Yahweh. The Lord deserves the credit. God has given conception. God has blessed Naomi with a son. And they really refer to him as Naomi's son. Do you recognize God's provision in your life? Or do you only see the problems? Who gets the credit for the blessings in your life, the material blessings? Who gets the blame when there are setbacks? Is there a connection? Notice the final commendation to Ruth in this book in verse 15. Look at verse 15. The women say, Your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is better to you than seven sons. That was an amazing statement in the Jewish culture. A seven-son family was considered ideal. That is perfection. Now, you know, it's not enough for a baseball team, but you got a basketball team with a couple of subs. I believe Ultimate Frisbee, you have seven players. But these women are saying, you know what? This daughter-in-law from Moab is better to you than seven sons. What a testimony. I've said before, but we know nothing about Ruth's past. She came from a pagan land, worshipped a wicked god, there may have been a lot of things that she didn't want known and God hasn't told us. But she's in Bethlehem for two months and she already had the reputation of a virtuous woman. That's what Boaz said. You are known for your virtue. 
And now she's considered better than seven sons. In the short time she had been there, she had excelled the ideal Israelite family. That is the mercy of God. That is God honoring the unwavering faith of a woman who said, your God will be my God. That is a woman who is far off. She was outside the covenant community of Israel. She was in a sinful nation. She was in the condition that we were before we found Jesus Christ. We may not have been involved in the same things, but God has saved us from sin. And God honored her unwavering faith with this son. The third thing I want us to see is that God provides for future, the future through raising up godly offspring who will faithfully serve him. And the importance of this, this baby that is laid into the lap of Naomi. It says in verse 16, it said, a son is born to Naomi. Now, it was not her physical offspring. In fact, the, the, any relation was kind of off on the, the sides because it's a Moabite woman and Boaz. But she's going to raise him. And while it's not her lis- literal physical child, her offspring, he became her child. Folks, you can minister to children who are not your flesh and blood. That's what our ministry does. That's the list of our nursery workers in the, in the bulletin this morning. That's our teachers at TCA. That's those working with Awana and in children's church and across the board investing in the lives of others. That you can have spiritual children that are not your physical children. And that for a Mother's Day, it's not just about physical birth. It's about seeing spiritual new birth. And the joy of that, investing in the next generation to be spiritual parents to eternal souls. So what do we see here? God's grace is greater than our failures. That's the first thing that we see under this. The story of Ruth is ultimately the story of God's loving kindness. God is faithful and he rewards the faithful people. Even though they struggled, Naomi struggled. She struggled with with seeing God as unfair, unjust, unkind. Here's Ruth outside the covenant community and without God, and that's how Ephesians 2 describes us, you and me. There was pain, there was difficulty, but you know, it's often the pain in life that directs our focus to the Lord. In fact, the psalmist, we've finished reading Psalm 119, but in verse 67 it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now I have kept your word. Verse 71 of that same psalm says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I know the Lord that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Psalm 119.75 We don't think of affliction as good. But we read this morning in James 1, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into multicolored, diverse temptations, types of testing. Why? Because God is at work. We can trust Him. He is faithful even in our failures. His grace is greater than our sin. God's mercy is greater than your sinfulness. It's interesting when you compare the genealogy here at the end of Ruth with Matthew chapter 1. I would invite you to just turn over very quickly to Matthew 1. There are several people that are highlighted here. 
Back in verse 12 of, of Ruth 4, which we didn't read, but it says, that they're saying, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar born to Judah. Well, that's an interesting name. See, Perez was the son of Judah and Tamar. We, we see that in verse 12 of chapter 4. Tamar had initially married Judah's son, Ur. Ur was a wicked man, and God killed him. Well, following the Leverite marriage that we've considered, the next son of Judah, Onan, then married Tamar. But he too behaved wickedly, and God killed him. Judah had a third son, but he was, you know, it's already two strikes, and he doesn't want to lose his third son. These aren't real godly boys so far. And so he goes to Tamar and says, would you, would you wait until he gets older, and then I will give him to you to marry and continue the lineage. Well, that third son gets older, and Judah doesn't follow through. He doesn't do what he said he would do. And so Tamar dresses like a prostitute, goes to a place that she knows Judah will be coming by. Judah impregnates her, and the son that is born is Perez. This sordid story is back in Genesis chapter 38. But we find in Matthew 3, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And so we see God is using that. Then we see another name. If you, in Ruth chapter 4, verse 21, we see that the father of, of Salmon, that, that Solomon is the father of Boaz. But the mother of Boaz isn't mentioned in the book of Ruth. We find her name in Matthew. She's named in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Yes, that Rahab. Rahab the prostitute from Jericho who protected the spies and said, save my family. I want to believe. I want to trust the God of Israel. You know, maybe that's why Boaz was sympathetic to a Moabite woman because his mom was from Jericho. And what we see is God's grace in bringing in these people and, and with sordid situations and a lot of ugliness in the past that we would prefer not to even look at. And God says, I want you to see my grace. These are trophies of his grace. God's grace is greater than your failure. Secondly, God's purpose is greater than your existence. God had a lot more involved than simply providing food for Naomi and Ruth. Isn't it interesting that the blessing on Boaz back in chapter 4, verse 11, that they said that he would prosper. The people at the gate said, we're witnesses of all of this and all that you've done, and now we want your family to prosper. Do you remember what the other relative's concern was? We talked about him last week. Mr. What's-his-name? Because Scripture intentionally does not tell us his name. He was concerned about his name and his heritage. And we know nothing about his name, and we know nothing about his heritage, but what we do know is God blessed Boaz. Boaz wasn't worried about his name. He wasn't worried about continuing that. He was concerned about the line of Elimelech. Boaz really showed a biblical love, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He loved his neighbor. And he was willing to put them first, and God honored that. 
Yes, Ruth no longer has to glean in the field. What belonged to her Redeemer now belongs to her. And what we see in Matthew chapter 1, the first verse is, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Because of Ruth, Naomi has become honored in the ancestry of Israel's leading family, King David, and beyond that, the Messiah. Do you realize that the human life of Jesus is tied to a woman gleaning in the fields of Bethlehem miles away from her home in Moab. And she bore this son in that little town of Bethlehem who was the grandfather of David, the king, and the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. That is the work of God. What God is doing is not just about us or our children, but the next generation's. That's why it's so important that we invest in them. Thirdly, God's redemptive plan extends to the future, and it's for his glory. Obed's mother was a servant, Ruth. His father, a kinsman redeemer. And his descendant was our Savior. You know, it's interesting, and Ruth Lynch, my executive assistant, was proofing my bulletin notes and jotted down some words and I pondered those and I pulled those together more and, and talked about what we've seen in this book. It goes from distress and despair and defeat to peace and joy and victory. From being destitute to being secure, from bitterness to blessing, from, from that embarrassed emptiness as, as Naomi comes home with nothing to being a proud grandma. If she had had a phone, we'd have seen pictures. From toil and work of glean, gleaning in the fields to the comfort and well-being of resting in the house of Boaz. Have you experienced that? Have you seen, maybe you're in that point of despair, of difficulty, of struggle, the famine. Understand, there's still more to the story. Because when you put your trust in the Lord, you can rest securely knowing that God loves you. We've sung of his love for you this morning. God loves you. God is in control of your life. And God will provide for you. This is the testimony of God. When you trust him, you can be secure. God loves you. God's in control of your life. He will provide for you. And now you know the rest of the story. But do you truly know the rest from the story? Can you say the people of God are my people and he is my God? Do you have that confidence that God loves you? He's in control. He provides. He's provided a redeemer. Have you trusted him? Do you know that rest for your soul? Do you have that comfort, that confidence? Do you know Jesus Christ as your redeemer this morning? If not, we would love to show you from God's Word how Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He did that by dying for sinners, by making the sacrifice for your salvation. Let's pray together.